Hello, everyone, and welcome to Consumer Watchdog's Rage for Justice Report. It's our weekly conversation about the current issues we're exposing, confronting, and changing. I'm your host, Carmen Balber, Executive Director of Consumer Watchdog. And my guest this week is Mary Mazio, an award-winning documentary filmmaker uh, whose 50 Eggs production company has produced a lot of films with really important social impact, um, one of which we're intimately familiar with, the documentary I Am Jane Doe, which took on online child sex trafficking and the internet companies who facilitated it uh, with impunity until uh, some welcome change came about after that documentary. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Mary. Carmen, great to be with you. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. It's crazy time. Honestly, thank you to Consumer Watchdog for all of the work that you did back when we were launching I Am Jane Doe um, and the conversation around Section 230. Uh, Consumer Watchdog really tracked a lot of the funding of private interest groups, and that proved to be incredibly helpful at the time. So um, we worked with you on that several years ago. This was, gosh, more than four years ago at this point. Uh, when we first, Yeah, exactly. Right? Long, long time. How time flies. What a different world. Um, we should probably start with, uh, you know, what I Am Jane Doe was about um, and the federal legislation that it catalyzed to finally allow internet companies that facilitate uh, criminal online sex trafficking, which was the topic of the documentary, to, to be held liable. So maybe you can start with just, you know, the issues at the heart of I Am Jane Doe and what that law, Section 230, does. Yeah, of course. So we were filming um, I Am Jane Doe, which was about young children in America that were victims of sex trafficking. And actually, the project came about not with any intent around online liability, but because I was approached um, by a donor who said, Mary, what do you know about child sex trafficking in this country? And I said at the time, I said, it doesn't exist, right? That's for emerging economies. And she was like, "Uh, guess again, wrong answer. You know, thank you for playing. And as it turned out, when I did some of the research, the numbers of young people that this crime affects is really head spinning, right? And primarily affects uh, LBGTQ children, runaway, and of course, homeless children are at great risk, as well as young people that might be grappling with a drug or alcohol issue or depression um, or anxiety, right? So a huge swath of our young people are particularly vulnerable. So we start, I read this case in a two by two section, you know, two inches by two inches in the Boston Globe about three Jane Doe children that were suing Backpage.com, which was owned by the Village Voice and was the largest online portal for sex trafficking of all kinds. And the Jane Doe's were saying, hey, listen, uh, we were victimized on your site. You have, do you bear some culpability? Do you bear some responsibility for this crime that happened to me? And, And by the end of the project, of course, We had been speaking with all of the Jane Doe's. There were other similar cases, and all of these cases were dismissed, including the one in real time as we were halfway through filming that these Jane Doe children from Boston were filing because of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, right, which provides, in layman's terms, right, um, immunity for third-party content. 
Immunity, by the way, which prior to the new legislation included, you could be almost like you could be driving the getaway car in a crime, right? So mm-hmm. if you were an online portal that was facilitating illegality, um, you could be held civilly responsible under the Trafficking Act. And in real time, we did not think that um, Ropes and Gray, they were representing these three three young victims, right? White shoot, extraordinary, you know, Harvard, Harvard, Harvard kind of law, law firm, right? And they, uh, the decision in the First Circuit was a radical departure and basically said, you can be facilitating actively crime online as a platform and our hands are tied because of the uh, because of um, federal sort of the you know federal precedent around section 230 and furthermore the court said to the children go to congress to change this right hence that's exactly what these young people did and that really gave birth to um, with some help from the film right but there was sort of a perfect storm around Senator Blumenthal and, and Senator McCain and McCaskill and Heitkamp and Klobuchar all looking to rein in the bad actors online, right? Because they have been operating in plain sight and making, by the way, hundreds of millions of dollars on an annual basis. So that is sort of the short thumbnail sketch of the project and then the aftermath um, and the impact that these survivor voices in the film had was just um, really extraordinary. And I mean, we were so um, we were so honored to be a small part of that fight. Um, but at the bottom line uh, was what you what you said, uh, what you started with. You could be driving the getaway car and still have no liability for your Crazy. actions. And that's really, you know, that's the the outrageous aspect of this blanket immunity uh, that's provided in uh, Section 230 of the Communications Decency 100%. Act. Yeah, not mm-hmm. only, but you have these special interest groups, you know, funded by the likes of Google that claim, oh, wait, if you change it, free speech is dead. And, you know, we're not talking about free speech. I don't know the last time that criminal conduct equaled free speech. Frankly, frankly, even commercial speech, right? Advertisements. Since when is that free speech, right? Like this idea that if you can clarify the, the, the extent of online responsibility, but every special interest group was out there and in the aftermath of the legislation um, has been out there just attacking this idea that Section 230 um, is responsible for innovation and free speech, right? Um, And certainly lots of innovation has happened, no doubt. But the idea of free speech being this, you know, this lever for no action is, um, how do I say it without using profanity, right? Right. Right. And, and, you know, the bottom line is we can't allow Internet companies uh, in the name of innovation to facilitate and profit from illegal activity, especially when we're talking about circumstances where children are being harmed online. And And so this was really I mean, well, that was really the the first lever, right, that uh, this this activity was so heinous, so obviously outrageous that it uh, jump-started this conversation about when internet companies should be allowed to be held liable and generated huge 
bipartisan support. I mean, this is this was legislation the Trump administration signed. Yes, um, it was, of course, heralded by a wide, you know, Portman, McCaskill, Klobuchar, McCain. It was it was thoroughly bipartisan. And once it hit um, once the legislation hit 60 votes in the Senate, it nearly died in the House. Right. And we know that paid interest groups, of course, were at the forefront of that. And, um, and, and coming out of this, you might say, hey, listen, the survivors won the battle. They have not won the war. And what do I mean by that? We're seeing Google-funded organizations uh, race around the globe to try and insert this kind of Section 230 immunity in trade agreements across the globe. What does that mean? It means you are exporting the bad actor problem, right? to our neighbors and allies and friends um, across the globe. So, you know, listen, this was a skirmish and the survivors, um, along with the likes of Consumer Watchdog or, you know, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, there were a whole host of amazing nonprofit groups that came together to support these survivors. Um, but it is only the tip of the iceberg and these Google funded groups are so deep pocketed, uh, and fighting tooth and nail, both on the Hill and then around the globe to expand this idea of immunity, right? I mean, they're far more profitable when they don't have to take responsibility, even for criminal conduct. Well, that brings us to, you know, what's coming up, uh, the future, what, what we can expect, because we obviously have a new administration, um, as you said, that this this fight is um, moving global, uh, but we also have a huge opportunity here for real reform of this blanket li- uh, liability law, um, because we've got a completely different rhetoric coming out of the administration and new bipartisan attention heating up on this issue. You know, Biden said that he wants to repeal Section 230. I think that might go a little too far, but he has said he wants to repeal it, I presume, and replace it with something better. His Commerce Secretary has said that this is going to be something she's looking at. And there was legislation starting to be introduced last year, including a bill that passed the Senate Judiciary Committee with bipartisan support unanimously, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, that would start limiting some of this blanket immunity uh, that internet companies uh, enjoy under Section 230. Yes, and I think, listen, Kamala Harris was one of the early senators aboard this clarification in the wake of I Am Jane Doe, right? For it, the, the law was called FOSTA-SESTA. Um, Biden has been very strong on reform, and uh, and yet the power of Google is everywhere in Washington, D.C., and will try and sort of, I think, in my humble opinion, um, listen, I was a huge fan of Google before starting this project. I thought they were just an extraordinary company. And now understanding the um, the partnerships and relationships that the company actually had with the likes of Backpage, it's really dispiriting, right? Um, and and so I think you know we will face headwinds in terms of of I think true change. And I think you know there are people that want to repeal Section 230 whole holistically. 
I don't think it serves much of a purpose anymore because it really has allowed new media to kick the shit out of old media, right? And and these companies have had a windfall in not bearing the usual costs of business, right? No legal fees. Guess what? Get your free get get out of jail card. Um, that being said, I think you have to look at this practically. There are issues of innovation we still want to encourage. Um, and I think that clarifying Section 230 so that if you're a platform and you've got visibility into crime, you need to do something about it. And there are all sorts of other just horrific things happening online. And people are taking the position that the online world is different from the offline world. Well, online harm is real life harm. Absolutely. And there is, um, as big as this debate is, there's some pretty obvious low-hanging fruit. I mean, it never makes sense to allow platforms to uh, not only promote but profit from illegal activity knowingly. And so there's some really low-hanging fruit here that everybody should be able to agree on. Yeah, exactly. And if you're going to hold the guys that ran Silk Road, right, Um, If you're going to go after the guys that ran Silk Road, why is there not that sort of same sort of outrage and vigilance around all of the harm happening to children? I mean, the New York Times about six months ago, right, exposed all of the online harm. Why are so many of these platforms not adhering to child safety laws? They are laws, but they've got no teeth. Right. And so these platforms, I believe, have to do a much better job in terms of safeguarding our children. Absolutely. And then, you know, you open up uh, this window into how Internet companies like Facebook, for example, use their algorithms to uh, expand and promote all of this dangerous misinformation online. And, you know, no one wants to no one's talking about uh, limiting uh, First Amendment rights and free speech. But there's a difference when you're talking about blatantly illegal activity and companies using, you know, their back end and their data collection to promote that activity. Exactly, exactly. And you're seeing this with fake news. You're seeing it with online pharma, with opioids, right? To what extent are these platforms, A, they have visibility, right? The the business proposition of these platforms is data aggregation. They are slicing and dicing all of our personal data. They are in the policing content business. So this idea that, oh, we can't police content, there's too much of it, you know that was a that that was actually the case back 20 years ago when when section 230 was enacted it's just simply no longer the case today right websites are no longer passive posters or exactly. or sites like these passive yeah, posters or dumb of, pipes yeah exactly dumb pipes well thanks so much mary for joining me this has been really interesting i'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about as uh, the year progresses yes thank you so much for having me and again thank you to consumer watchdog for your thoughtful and really extraordinary contribution to educating people around the section 230 debate a few years ago Well, it's a fight we'll be in uh, in the year to come. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. As always, remember to subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carmen Balber, and this has been the Rage for Justice Report.